The force of intellect, Mamon Hamutal Besafek. It's good to be back learning together after my being away for a few weeks. And thought we should dedicate the learning that we do together to the memory of, of the Kadoshim who've fallen, of the continued success of the army in, in the work that it's doing, and the well-being of the Shvuyim and, and their return, comforting the families and healing the injured. We're dealing with a lot of shock, we're dealing with a lot of loss, and it's going to be a, an ongoing period of shock and loss. This isn't going to be something, even if the war finished today, we haven't yet even engaged with the many people who've been seriously injured. They don't even feature as a statistic in the news. That's still to come. And the re-establishment of hopefully a new Israel, a different Israel, a lot of hard and difficult and exciting things lie ahead of us. And we need to be very conscious of that. And uh, most important of all is not to let our tefillot become routine and wrote. In the morning we say a capital of Tehillim after Davening while we're busy wrapping out our, our Tefillin and we'd rush outside and on Shabbos we make a Mishaberach as if it's just an, another thing to do. And even in our Davening there's so many Psukim, there's so many Tefillot that we say in day-to-day -day Davening that refer to the peace and well-being of, of Am Yisrael, the healing of the sick every, every Shmona Esra three times a day. We say that five times a day if we include the, the Chazor Sashats. There's so many opportunities just to pause and reflect, not let this become routine. It's quite frightening that the war is going on down the road, literally down the road. And we live in this kind of bubble with it. It's chesed because it would be very hard to live in, in, in any other way. It's a great chesed, but we mustn't become disconnected from it and, and cold to it and, and, and in, into some level of routine. We need to understand what our soldiers are going through, what the families who've had losses are going through, what the captives are going through. There's just so much pain and suffering and all with such good spirit all with an understanding of it being done for our good, for the good of Klal Yisrael, for the good of the, of the Rebbein Hashem, for Kiddush Hashem, ultimately. Uh, just so important that we don't let that escape us and that we keep it fresh in our minds and in our hearts. So with our learning, we have the opportunity to sit quietly in a base of Medrash in the morning and, uh, and, and learn together. While we're doing that, there are people who are risking their lives so that we will be able to continue to do this every day. And that's something to, to be aware of. We're introduced in the beginning of the fifth Perek to one of the most foundational principles in the Zikin. And we're not going to be able to go through it all. All we can begin is, is, is to open up the foundation, have some kind of an angle towards it, and let it develop as we go through the Zikin. We'll let our understanding of these principles evolve and develop as we learn it. And the principle, the foundational principle, is the Machlokes, Sumchus, and Chachomim. The difference of opinion between Schumchus and the, and the rest of the Chachomim about how you deal with property that is, whose ownership is in doubt, in dispute, which is what a lot of Nazikin is about, some form of, of ownership that is in, in dispute. And the case that we have is the case of the Mishnah. We'll see two cases that, that we deal with here. The one is the case of the Mishnah. An ox gored a cow. And the fetus of the cow is found next to the cow afterwards. What's the question? We don't know whether this, this fetus was a miscarriage as a result of the goring, in which case the owner of the ox is responsible for the loss of the fetus, 
Or did she have a miscarriage before, before the goring and the, and the miscarriage had nothing to do with the goring and the ox is not responsible for it? You have to pay half of the, of the damage for the cow. Because we're dealing with a shore tam, we're dealing with a shore that has not done this before, and the din is, is chatzin nezik, he has to pay half of the damages. That's okay. What about the, the fetus? Uraviya nezik lavlad. He has to pay a quarter of the damages for the fetus. Because if we knew for sure that the fetus was killed by the act of the ox, he would have to pay chatzin nezik, he would have to pay half of the value of the fetus, the same as he pays for the cow. That's simple. But since we're in doubt, there's a suffix, we don't know, the facts are obscure, he has to pay half. The, the owner of the, of the fetus bears half the cost, and the owner of the ox bears half the cost. And the Gemara then says, Omar Rav Yudu, Omar Shmuel, Zu Divrei Sumchus. This is the view of Sumchus. Da Amar, who holds that Mamon Hamutal Besafek Cholkim. If there's money that is in doubt, we don't know who the owner is, and there's no way of establishing ownership, you divide it between the two claimants. This is a major din. They, the the Chachomim disagree with Sumchis. And the Chachomim say this is a major principle in, in, in justice, in the laws of, of Chosh and Mishpat, the monetary laws. And that is, The one who's claiming something away from somebody else has to bring the proof. So there we have the introduction of this machlokis. We've had reference to it, references to it earlier in the Masechta and Daflamid Hay, and elsewhere we've had reference to it, but, but not really the introduction of the of the machlokis in its full power, and it will appear over and over again during our learning of Seder Nezikin. Let's try to some degree to understand this machlokis, Sumchus and, and Rabbonin. So Sumchus holds... The doubt is created in the world of concept. What we learn in this whole thing, as we'll see as we go into it, is that in the Zikin, one of the things we're looking at is in where the conceptual world and the real world interface. And philosophers have engaged in that for, for centuries. The world of ideas and the world of physical reality. So you can operate in either space, and that's quite easy. But what happens when they clash? What happens when there's an interface between the world of ideas and the world of reality? So for example... If I, I'm wearing my watch, that's a physical reality. And you can assume that it's mine. It may or may not be, but you can, you can assume that it's mine. But the fact that I'm wearing it is a physical reality. If I'm not wearing it, it's just on the table. But I have a document that proves it's mine. That's not a physical reality. That's a concept. A document is an illegal concept. It's an idea. And yet the idea establishes my ownership over it. So there, in law, you're constantly dealing with the relationship between ideas and reality and the extent to which an idea can create reality or an idea can impact reality. So Sumchus says that when you're dealing with two different claims, you work in the area of, of the ideas. A claim is an idea. A person says, this is mine. The other person says, no, this is mine. And they each try and bring proof and justification. But it's not like the law of the jungle. In the law of the jungle, there's only physical reality. Everybody takes what they want, and whatever they take is theirs, unless somebody else takes it away from them again. That's the law of the jungle. There's only physical reality, but human beings operate in this dual reality of a physical reality and a conceptual reality. And Sumka says what we look here are the concepts. The fact is, yes, there's a, a fetus, and we have a question over how much money is owed, who, who, who owes the money, how much is owed of the money, or oh, there's a watch on the table, we don't know whose it is. So you get into the world of ideas. 
What proof is there? What, what documentation is there? How can we establish ownership using ideas because we can't use reality? That's what Sumchus holds. The Chachomim say, a Klal Godel is you can't use a concept to change reality. That's what's really important about this idea of Amotzi Michavero Alavaraya. A person is holding, physically is holding something. You can't use an idea to change physical reality. If, you're only, if you've only got ideas, then you can work with your ideas. If you've only got physical reality, you work with the physical reality, and we'll have examples of that. But if you've got physical reality and an idea that attacks that physical reality, that doesn't create a doubt. If somebody's holding on to something, if somebody is a muhzak, if somebody's holding on to something, it, the reality is it's his. You want to challenge that reality? You need more than a ta'ana, you need more than a claim. You need more than an idea. You need alav haraya, you've got to bring a raya. What is a raya? Why does a raya work? A raya is also a concept. A raya means a proof. A proof is also a concept. So I'm, I, I'm wearing my watch, I'm a muhsak. If you just come with an idea and you say the watch is mine, we disregard that. But if you come with proof that the watch is yours, now you've only got conceptual proof, I've got physical ownership, you've got conceptual proof, how does that work? So we have an amazing concept that we need to understand in the Chachomim, and that is a ra'aya, a robust proof that is rational and sound, is also physical reality, which Sumchus doesn't need to get to. And in fact, the word ra'aya comes from ra'iya, and we, in English we say that, when you say, I see, what do you mean? You can mean I see with my eyes, but you also mean I understand. When you understand something rationally, and it's fully rational, and it's sound reasoning, and you understand it, that is a reality, that's no longer a concept. So a ra'aya, I love ra'aya, you've got to bring a proof that is as powerful as a new physical reality. That's what proof means. That's what a raya means. And we'll see that through the Masechta and through the, through the Seder over and over again in the view of the Rabbon. Ask the Gemara, why must you say Zeklal Gadol Bedin? Why do you have to say this is a great principle? Just say the law. Why, where do we get the Zeklal Gadol Bedin? Says the Gemara, The Chachomim was so strong in this that even if you come and you say, this watch, I know this watch is mine. I know for sure this watch is mine. And I say, I'm not so sure. I think it's probably mine. Even then, the fact that I'm wearing it means you can't take it away from me, even with a ta'anat bari, with certainty. That's not, that's not sufficient. You need a raya. You need something that can be seen. You need, you need a, a, a real proof. Inami, and the Gemara then says there's another, another way that this can be taken to mean why this is a klal gadol. And the Gemara introduces us to a second case of Amotzimi Chaviro Alavaraya, where a person sells his ox, and, and the ox is found to be a gora, a perpetual gora, a, a habitual gora. So this is now a problem. He can't keep the ox. Rav Rav says he can say, that's not what I bought. I didn't buy an ox for you that I have to get rid of because, it, because he goes. So Rav says that you cancel the deal. Give the ox back, take the money back. Shmuel says no. The, the seller can say the understanding was you were going to slaughter it in any case. You were buying it for the butcher. You weren't buying it to use as a live ox. So who cares that it's a, an ox that is a habitual gora? And the Gemara goes into that and discusses. And on the next page, 
the Gemara says you've got that down on the Omud uh, Beis and the sources. Rav Amarareze Mekach Taud Zil Bataruba. Rav says, why is this Mekach Taud? Why do you cancel the deal? Yes, I agree that Amotzi Michavero Alavaraya that you've got to you've got to be bring the proof. Most people trade in animals, in, in oxen for sure, as plowing animals, not as shechting animals. So you can't say, I, you bought it for me to slaughter. No, we, we don't know what you bought it for. You just bought it. So we must go by the rov, like the majority. And Shmuel says, no. We don't use even a rov, even a majority, even statistical proof. We don't use against a chazakah in this case. Ki azlinan bataruba, where do we use the concept of rov? Only be isura when we're dealing with isur, kosher and treif, mutter and asur. Then you can use the principle of, of, of rov. Aval mamon lo azlinan bataruba. But in the case of momen, we don't use rov. In the case of mandatory matters, we don't use statistics. There's got to be proof. Without proof, we don't do anything. And statistics isn't proof. According to Rav, Statistics is proof. That's what a rov is. A rov, you, you, you're entitled to assume that what the statistics tells you is a fact. You make that assumption unless you've got proof otherwise. Shmuel says, no, rov is only a law given to us by the Torah to resolve doubts in matters of issue. You've got a piece of meat and you don't know if it's kosher or if it's treif. So you see how many butchers, how many kosher butchers there are in the town, how many treif butchers, and you make an assumption based on statistics. That's okay where you're dealing with Matters of trade, because you're looking at a piece of meat, there's no reality you're doing with. The whole thing is concept. Whether the meat is kosher or the meat is trafe is a, is a conceptual question. So you can use concept in order to resolve this, and you can use rov in order to resolve it. The Torah says the way you resolve it is rov. It doesn't mean that is the fact, that is the truth. It simply means that's how you have to act. You have to treat it as if it's kosher meat because you have a rov. That's the din of rov. But, it, but that can't work against a reality when you're dealing with mamanot, when you're dealing with monetary claims. You can't use statistics to counter a physical reality. So there we're beginning to see how they, how they work with, with, with realities. But what's interesting we see here is the idea in the Chachomim, according to Shmuel, that even though you won't use a rov against a physical reality in matters of mamonot, so even though there's a majority that tells me this is what the situation should be, we say we don't go by majorities, we don't go by statistics. The fact is he's got a chazoki, he's holding it, he has ownership. Uh, or assumed ownership. It, nevertheless, a raya does work, proof does work. In other words, proof, although that's a concept, proof itself is conceptual, but if a proof is sound and a proof is logical and rational, it's strong enough to change physical reality. I'm wearing my watch, it's mine. In the laws of the jungle, it's mine. You would have to rip it off my, off my wrist to get it. But in Torah, it isn't so. In Torah, you go to Beisdin, and you, and you bring proof that it's in fact yours. And you change the physical reality with concept. So you're beginning to see how much credence the Torah gives to, to concept, to an, to an idea, the power of an idea to impact reality. And it goes one step further in the Gemara itself. And the Gemara says, where do we know from this din of Amotzi Michavero Alavaraya? And the Gemara tries to bring a, a verse, tries to bring a pasuk. And then the Gemara says, why do I need a posuk? Svarahu, it's logical. 
to go to a doctor, you have to have a complaint. You have to have a, you, you have to have a pain. You don't just go to a doctor and say, "Good morning. Will you, will you check me out?" You've got to have a you've got to have a pain. I'm feeling a pain. Can you check me out? So also to claim something away from somebody else, you've got to have a claim. There's a reason I'm claiming this is mine. I don't need a posuk for this. So although this is so foundational, Amotzimi Chaveroa Lavara is one of the most foundational laws in the in in Choshen Mishvat. We learn it from logic. The very law of Amotzimi Chaveroa, the very law that logic can be used against reality. That very, because logic is a form of reality and is as powerful as reality, that very law we learn from logic. We don't learn it from a source of posuk in the, in the Torah. And as Tosfa says, even Sumchus agrees with that principle. It's not that Sumchus disagrees with that logic. He also agrees. He just says there's certain circumstances where it doesn't apply. Some circumstances it does apply. Other circumstances it, it doesn't apply. But what we do see from here, once again, is that if reasoning is sound, it becomes a halachic reality. And that's why it's so important to learn how to reason. And that's part of what one does when one's learning Gemara, because you're going to make halachic decisions based on reasoning. You're not just going to make halachic decisions based on physical realities that you can see. You're going to make a lot of halachic decisions based on reasoning. You've got to be sure that the reasoning is sound, that you know how to reason, and that the conclusions we come to through our reasoning are, are conclusions strong enough to be able to challenge physical reality. Mm-hmm.